What's up, watch fam, and welcome to this very special episode of the Rico's Watches podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and I'm here today with Kathleen McGivney, the CEO of Red Bar Group. How's it going today, Kathleen? It's going great. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's an absolute pleasure and honor to chat with someone so esteemed as yourself in the watch uh, watch collecting hobby and in the watch collecting world. It's, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. Thank you. I, I don't know if I would agree that with the esteemed part, but sure. <laughs> To, to us, like people living up in the bush in northern Canada, you're pretty esteemed. <laughs> so, um, what uh, really quickly before we get into any of the questions or anything today, what are you wearing on the wrist? Um, I actually have a Fears Brunswick. Uh, let's see if I can get it without a reflection on it. So this is the salmon dial version. Um, so Fears is a really interesting brand to, for me. Um, one, cause I like, I've got, I really kind of dig micro brands and independence. I really like being able to talk to the actual person that's behind the, the brand that's coming up with the ideas and the designs and all of that. So I met Nick, uh, who, who runs fears, who's the managing director of fears. Uh, it's his family's company from way, way back. He's the fourth ever managing director. I hope I'm getting that right. And, um, you know, he relaunched, he, he was watchmaker at Rolex. He like, he left and he relaunched his family's brand and he creates these really beautiful, they're like understated, very elegant watches. Um, they're meticulous. He has a great attention to detail, but I think part of it, and we'll, we'll probably have this theme throughout is that the biggest part of this hobby for me is the people. He's mm. a really lovely person. He's just a really great guy. Um, he's formed like a group of small uh, British brands. It's a British brand, and um, that that kind of get together and um, and do well. Used to do in person shows where people could come and explore brands that they might not be able to see because they don't have like a retail presence. Mm. Um, but this particular watch, and I will send you a picture afterwards if you like, um, is phenomenal. It's just beautifully, the shape is gorgeous. The, the case shape is beautiful. The, the dial finishing is astounding. It's like, it's this beautiful salmon color, but he's like mixed rose gold and copper and like brushed it to, so that like every time you move it in the light, it changes. So it's a delight to look at. But then also the numerals, the applied numerals were designed by um, my friend Lee, who does a one hour watch on Instagram. And if you don't follow him, you should, because it's delightful. Uh, he draws a watch a day mm. or something watch related every day. Um, and he's also a typeface designer. So it's like there's two of my friends work in this watch. So it makes it like even more personal for me to wear it. That's awesome to have that kind of that connection both with the owner and then obviously having a connection from someone that you know personally within the community into that piece. And and fears, are they the one that has like it's a like a gas tube is that part of their logo? Like a like like a compression canister tube? Um yes, I think that's the inspiration for it, but they do have the uh, it's on the well you can't see it on this, but it's on the um it's like the hands, it's one of the hands that's like on the, um, on the buckle, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really, um, it's a really great brand. I, I, I highly recommend looking into them if, if you're not familiar. Um, and they've got a whole bunch of information about like the history of the brand and all of that on their website. 
Very cool. I know my, my wife's a big fan of salmon dials in particular, uh, Rico's wifey on, uh, on Instagram. She has her, her salmon dial tutor kind of similar to how you described the, the finishing with the, the brushing and, and sort of that mix of like copper and, and gold. It's, it's, it's really beautiful. And when they're done right, they're, they're definitely something to behold for sure. Yeah. Um, on my wrist, I know we were talking a little bit off screen about, uh, some of the sizes of, uh, of like the 41 millimeter, uh, Tudor Black Bays. I'm actually wearing the 42 millimeter Tudor Pelagos today. Nice. Um, so my favorite watch, it's my go-to piece on the, uh, on the day-to-day and on the show, most episodes. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure chatting with uh, Davide as well, who designed the watch, kind of getting some insight into it there. Super cool experience and uh, absolute fantastic piece. I'm sure you know all about it. So not really, not really anything to tell you that you don't know already, but uh, it's, it's a, phenomenal phenomenal watch really something different in the Tudor lineup I I feel kind of compared yeah. to the rest of what's there yeah I agree with that I have I don't own a Pelagos I have a couple of black bays but uh but one of my really good friends has well, actually quite a few red bar members in New York have Pelagos uh variations whichever color and uh I really like them they're mm. just it's just a great all-around watch and one of my friends he he wears his he's a uh, bartender at a very busy steakhouse in uh, Manhattan and he like he wears that thing all the time at work and it just takes abuse like mm-hmm. you know like you can have a very active job where you're like banging into stuff all the time and it, it just it just holds up it's just a great watch it just does what you need it to do and it does it looking good and then I love it it's a, yeah. it's a great piece just to beat the snot out of and it just keeps looking better um, so just to kind of before we get obviously into all your work with Red Bar and yeah. uh, and yourself with your your collection that you have, which from what I've seen you have a phenomenal collection that is going to be so cool to talk about. Um, let's go back to the very beginning. Like, where did your journey begin in the watch world? What what got you into the hobby? So um, it's interesting because my my journey kind of it, it's it's a little bit of a meandering one I think like a lot of people um, my first experiences with watches were with swatches um, at least a lot of people my age and a little, little younger um, you know I grew up with with swatches and thinking those were really cool and I collected them but you know they're not a serious watch they're fun but again you know like this hobby should be fun mm-hmm. so so I started out there and then you know, I did the, the typical thing that people do when you get like your first really good job, you get a nice watch. So I had a couple of like Tag Heuer's and a Movado when Movado was cool. Um, no offense, Movado, but you know, anyway, but like, you know, I had a, the museum piece and, and, and all of that. And then I kind of, and then I kind of did this, a lot of things, uh, the same thing that a lot of people in my industry at the time, which was IT, you know, I was, I'm a reformed techie. Um, when smartphones came out, I was like, I don't need to wear a watch. So I didn't wear a watch for like a f- number of years. And then, um, and then now Ed, this gets into my friendship with Adam Craniotis, who's the founder of Red Bar. So I've known Adam for more than, well, let me just put it this way. Our friendship is old enough to legally drink alcohol in my country. So um, we've known each other for a very long time. We used to work together at a tech startup, actually. Um, and, you know, we kept in touch over the years on various forms of social media. Instagram, um, when Instagram started, uh, I was on it and I kept seeing these pictures that he would post of him like hunched over 
a table in a dark bar every every week or two um, with watches in his hand and like and it's you know these are terrible pictures this is like the beginnings of instagram you know it's poor lighting in a basement bar like you know so i i got curious and my husband at the time and i were like you know kind of kind of learning some things about watches he worked for swatch so we were like getting you know we kind of learned some learned some things but we were like let's check this out so we contacted adam and said you know we would like to come hang out and he said and we were like but you know we're wearing swatches and he was he said oh no no problem there's no snobs here so we went everybody was really nice but i was like i'm gonna test this theory i'm gonna see if the no snobs rule is real so the next time we went, we brought our entire collection of swatches, which at the time was about 30, 35 of them. And we just like laid them out on the table. Now, if you've seen Red Bar, um, you know, Instagram, the the sex pile and the stuff, like you see the, the watches that are on the table, it's like, you know, Rolexes and Pateks and, and Tudors and, you know, vintage pieces and all kinds of stuff. There's not generally speaking a lot of plastic on the table. Um, and we thought everybody would just laugh us off and they, and no, people were like taking their watches off and trying them on and going, oh, I remember this from when I was a kid. And so I felt, okay, the, the snobs, <laughs> this no snobs thing was, uh, was true. And so it made us feel immediately comfortable because one of the barriers to entry, I think, to this hobby is, is you know, knowledge and, and people feeling like intimidated like you walk into a multi-brand boutique and you don't know anything like, you know, you're, you, you might not walk up to a salesperson and even talk to them because, because you, you know, you, you feel intimidated by not having that knowledge base. But with Red Bar, the community is always willing to share like everyone. It, you can sit down and talk to anyone and they are happy to tell you why their watch is special. They are happy to answer all of your questions. And so that became sort of the the rabbit hole, like it led to a very deep rabbit hole for me, um, in which we would go to Red Bar every week and I would pick up watches off the table and I got to, I, I got exposure to a wider array of brands and types of watches and history and all of that stuff than I would ever have done if I was just boutique hopping or something like that. Even on the internet, you know, you're not picking up a watch and trying it on. So I learned a ton of stuff by just going to Red Bar. And then, and then I, you know, and then I started figuring out what I liked and what I didn't like and started buying things. And um, if you ask Adam Cranios about this, it's like my collection kind of went alarmingly fast at the beginning. Like I just went, I learned what I liked and then I bought what I liked. <laughs> now I've changed my, my philosophy on that a little bit, but um, you know, and my collection has evolved over time. But that was the real, the real thing was just the community, you know, it was like hanging out with other people who loved watches and loved talking about them. So thank you for sharing that. That's tremendous insight into kind of what drives you as a little bit as a collector, or at least got you to the point of becoming a collector um, with such a very, a varied collection within the hobby. What, uh, I guess, so then what took this from being an interest where you're going and meeting up with friends and kind of you know, meeting up with this group of people to then 
you becoming the CEO of Red Bar? What's sort of the journey from point A to point B of where we are now? Well, when I started, when I started going to Red Bar, which was like end of 2013, I think, because like, you know, especially now, like, I don't even know what time is anymore. I'm like years, months, I, sure. But it was, you know, a long time ago. Um, and uh, it wasn't a, a even, it was just a loosely sort of formed social group with like a handful of, you know, New York was obviously the place where it started um, with a few other uh, locations, you know, uh, chapters and uh, that had said, hey, we don't have that here. Can we can we do it in our city and like call it the same thing? Um, so there was just this kind of loosely formed so, sort of social club. It's a watch, a, a drinking club with a watch problem, I guess, was like kind of thing. It was it was very grassroots, was, you know, it was like and um, and at some point, you know, it's, it had started to snowball right in like when I started going, it would be like a dozen people every week mm -hmm. and we meet every week, which is, you know, all, often for, for you know, for a collector community of any kind. Um, but like in between then and when like Instagram really started to like take off, the community grew kind of exponentially and we found ourselves in a situation where we had, you know, like a dozen chapters in more than one country and you know like we were like all over the place and and people had started um had approached us to start chapters and we wanted to kind of put some structure around that so um adam Cranatus again founder the guy who invented red bar basically um and james lambden who you've already you you've done an episode with um who has been you know a longtime attendee of of red bar and the founder of analog shift um, they, we kind of all put our heads together and said, how do we, how do we make this a thing? How do we make this a formal, like formal is, I'm definitely using air quotes there because we are very informal, but we wanted to like put some structure around it. We, you know, charitable giving is a really big part of it. So we wanted to make sure that was incorporated. Um, and speaking of incorporating, you know, we wanted to make sure that like, you know, if, it, that if we needed to do anything like a, a, or if we wanted to do anything like a collaboration like we've done with watch brands or with Wolf, that we would be able to funnel that money um, or any money that we got into, you know, company and pay for things like, you know, our events and, and all of that, and then also give a bunch of it to charity. Mm. So we formed as a company in 2015. And um, they asked me to, they, they basically asked me to helm, the, like to head it up because, you know, I, I'm a project manager by nature. Like I'm a, I'm the, I'm the one who, like, I already own my own business. Like I'm the one that kind of knows how to do all the operational stuff. And uh, James likes to call me the brains behind the operation, which is, which is kind of true. Like Adam is the face and the personality. He, he is great at like welcoming new members and like talking to people and sharing his knowledge and, and all of that stuff. James is like the big picture guy. James is like the visionary. He's like, he can see where we're going to be five years from now. And I'm the one that gets shit done. <laughs> so that's kind of why, that's how I ended up being the CEO because, you know, I get shit done. <laughs> hey, you know, every good CEO has got to be the one to get shit done, right? And I exactly. think that's, that's awesome. I think that they obviously made a good decision then in, in putting you in that position, right? And obviously now you've seen what Red Bar has become, right? When you started out, um, in Red Bar and, and when you kind of started to formalize the process of, of turning Red Bar into a real entity, um, 
did you ever have the vision that it would be what it is now? We thought so. Yeah, it, um, we really, we looked at it and we were, we really thought it had the, the, um, potential to be a global community. It was, it, you know, we were global at that time, you know, we, but not really, like we didn't have presence in Asia. We didn't have, you know, the, there, so we had like chapters in Europe and South America and, um, North America, obviously like US and Canada came kind of first and then, mm. and then we got a couple of European chapters and then like one in Brazil and, and, um, but, uh, you know, we, we had envisioned this being like, there's a watch community, there's watch fam, there's all kinds of clubs, there's all this stuff, but there's this one like thread that ties it all together. And it's all people who are passionate about this one thing. And it's a hobby that, you know, like one could argue, none of us need these, right? So it's a thing that's very passion driven and the people that tend to fall into this um, hobby and get obsessive about it as many of us, you know, we have this affliction that we're like obsessed with watches. Um, you know, doesn't matter where we're from. It doesn't matter what language we speak. It's like, there's this shared connection there. And so, yeah, we did, we thought we, we were, the vision was that we would have this kind of globally intertwined uh, community of people that, that share this love of, of uh, mechanical objects that we technically don't actually need. <laughs> and, and so how many members are in Red Bar now? Um, it's like, it changes like literally almost every day. Um, I, I think it's probably about now that we, we just got like three new chapters in the last month, um, I'd say it's about 7,500 globally. Um, but, you know, it literally, like it literally changes all of the time. So by the time that you edit this and put it online, it'll probably be a different number. Good problems to have. They're probably all changing going upwards, right? Definitely. They're all going upwards. It's difficult in this time too, because I, you know, I have to acknowledge the fact that like most of us haven't been able to meet in person you know, for a year. Uh, some chapters and countries are, have uh, not had that problem. You know, like the, we just brought online a Shanghai chapter and, um, and a Taiwan chapter, both of, who, both of whom can meet in person because they're, uh, you know, they, they just, their local areas handled it a little bit differently. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that diplomatically than other places. Um, but uh, you know, so the, the growth and, and has been a little weirder this past year in that you know we've had we literally have some chapters that have that have come online and that have never met in person. We have some members that have come that have joined that have never been to an in-person red bar. Mm -hmm. um, so so that fluctuation in numbers, it is going up, but it's like it's it's a little weirder when there's no in-person thing because a lot of times uh, in the past, at least with our chapter and some other chapters I've um, been fortunate enough to visit, someone will come to an event that is, uh, maybe it's a brand sponsored or it's a boutique sponsored uh, event and they're not a Red Bar member and they become a Red Bar member that way because they've, they've, they're watch enthusiasts but they've you know shown up at you know, someplace where Red Bar members are. Um, and so it's, it's turned to a bit of an online thing, which I think is um, both easier and harder at the same time, right? Mm. There's not that organic kind of thing where someone just wanders into a watch boutique and meets someone else that loves watches. But 
there's also like chapters that are like, well, we might as well start on Zoom now, <laughs> you know? So. so would you say that's like the, one of the biggest kind of ways that Red Bar has been impacted by chapter 19, or sorry, Red Bar has been impacted by COVID-19. And has that sort of going to be a change that you think is going to stick going forward? Or do you think eventually they'll be going back to the more of the in-person meetups? Or is it just going to vary from chapter to chapter? I think it's going to vary from chapter to chapter. And, um, and it's um, interesting that you asked that question because we just actually sent out a survey to all of our chapter heads uh, beginning of this week um, asking just that very question. Like, because what one of the, the reasons that we kind of operate in this, um, you know, we're, we're kind of HQ and there's like, there's, you know, there's chapters in all kinds of localities. One of the reasons that we do that is because the local, the person that's running it locally knows best what's going on in their community. They know if they have a sense of whether they're going to meet in person again this year or, you know, this quarter or whatever their deal is, they have a sense of, you know, what the community's needs are, you know, each city, you know, everybody has a different approach. Um, so we kind of give them autonomy in that regard. Um, I think there is a light at the end of the tunnel here. You know, COVID is a is an ongoing problem. Um, I think with vaccinations and and um, and and all of that, hopefully we'll be able to get back to in person meetings. But like, we're letting each chapter take it their you know what what's safe in their area. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so like I said, I, I've said the example of the Taiwan chapter, um, Taiwan has done an excellent job of handling COVID and they did like a really hard lockdown in the beginning. And, you know, they, they went something like 280 days or some, a like a long time without community spread and it came from an outside person. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, you know, in, in, in Taiwan, they like normal life has kind of resumed. Um, if the if the local area um, case rates and rules and regulations and all of that allow it, and the chapter heads think that it's safe, you know, they can they they have the uh, you know freedom to kind of do what they think is right. Okay. And so, how many chapters are you at now? You said you just added three this month. So last I heard, you guys were at sixty eight. So are you in the seventies now? We're seventy one. I think, sorry, it's off the top of my head. I, I could go over here and look at my spreadsheet, but I think it's 71, yeah. Very cool. So it's, it's awesome that even through COVID-19, you've continued, continued to grow, expand, add new chapters, add new members. And so what is the process like then for uh, somebody to start a chapter? And, and what is the process like for somebody to actually join a Red Bar chapter? Is it very just like, hey, I'm here, I want to join? Or is there a formalized process for that? Um, well, there's, so there's multiple answers to this question. Um, I'll start with chapters. Um, so starting, there's, there's a couple of ways. One is um, we've had some chapters start where there's an existing member that moves that goes, I would, I'm moving to here and you don't have a chapter. Can I start one? Mm -hmm. That's the easiest thing. Like if you're already a member, you move, like we got a guy from the New York chapter wants to start a Puerto Rico chapter because he moved there during COVID, like during this last year. And I'm like, more power to you. You move to a beautiful, warm island. Uh, I, I envy you after this cold winter, but you know, the, so, but he's been a, a Red Bar member for a really long time. So we're just, if he wants to run one, great. Mm -hmm. um, if you're completely new to us, um, the process is basically to contact HQ 
have a conversation with myself, James, or Adam. Um, we talk to folks, and generally speaking, you know, we we the vetting that we do is not as it's not an exclusionary thing. It's basically to make sure that your people are in it for the right reasons. Like we want to make sure that you're passionate collector and that you're, um, you know, that you're gonna, you're just, you just in it for the passion and the shared love of watches. And it's not like a show offy thing like that. Right. And that's kind of how our vibe is, right? Like if you come to a red bar meetup and you're like, you walk in with like a, the, you know, big gold watch and you're like, I have the biggest goldest Rolex. Everyone is gonna, no one's gonna be impressed by that. And then you walk in with like a weird finchage piece that no one's ever seen. They're going to be super impressed by that, <laughs> you know? So like, so like if someone's in it for like the, you know, for, for the wrong reasons, we just kind of want to make sure that's not happening because um, we want it to be fun and cool and, and about the, the, the love of watches. Um, so we've had a few chapters start that way that during this past year, um, just folks that approached us and said, Hey, I don't, I don't see a chapter in my city. I'd love to start one. We have a conversation and then we kind of um, help them get started with logos and make sure they get the Instagram account and stuff. Um, for joining an individual chapter, the, the it, we again, we give a lot of leeway here. So um, some chapters um, in New York, it actually grew pretty organically. Um, it would, you know, if you know an existing member or an existing member has a friend they want to bring, they just, kind of run it by, run it by us and bring them. Um, other chapters have sign-up forms. Some other chapters have lengthy conversations with potential members. Like it's it's really all about the the personalities in the individual chapters and um, how they want to run things. And so we give them the, the autonomy to make that decision themselves. But if we get we do get um, we do get contacted on our website. And so if we if we get contacted on the website, we just forward it on to the individual chapters and let them onboard new members. Okay. And so what are sort of like the, like, obviously there's, like you said, there's so much varying between the different chapters, but what are sort of like the universal ground rules for Red mm. Bar? And, and I guess, have there been issues that you've run into because of so many chapters being so spread out across the globe? Um, well, the rule number one is don't be a dick. Um, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> Uh, but no, it's really, it's, it's, it's kind of no jerks, you know, no, no snobbery, no, you know, like we just, like, we just want people to, um, to be in there because they love watches and, and that's that. Like we just, um, the, uh, one of the other rules, ground rules is like treat everyone's watch as if it like better than if it was your own. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if in, in person meetups, a lot of times people put their watch rolls down or they, you know, let people try on their watch. And we, we just ask that people treat those watches with the utmost respect. Um, we've, we've only ever had, like, at least I can only really speak to New York um, in this case, but like, we've had one watch that I know of that got dropped. And the person immediately was like, I dropped your watch. It got a scratch on it. I will pay for it to be, you know, like, so we have personally in New York, at least never had a problem with any of that. Like people are very like people ask before they set a watch usually like that kind of stuff um uh but yeah that, and that's i mean pretty much the other thing that we tend to do and this is again chapter by chapter we don't publicize where we meet mm -hmm. um partially because uh we don't want randos showing up mm -hmm. <laughs> like we want to make sure that 
the members feel safe enough to put their watches on the table. Yeah. Um, so we ask that the members not tag, like no, don't geotag where you are, blah, blah, blah on social media. Like take as many pictures as you want, but if you take a picture of someone's face, like ask them first, like some people have, you know, as you know, some people have watch accounts that are just their wrist and mm -hmm. not their face or not their real name. Um, so we ask that people respect people's privacy and the location's privacy. Um, but other than that, we kind of leave leave things up to the to the chapters. You know, it's really about um, respecting the people, respecting their watches, and not not trying to you know like seek status because you own something shiny. Like mm -hmm. that's not what we're about. Mm -hmm. And so you're really just trying to convey like an image and an experience to members of Red Bar that it's just this is about enthusiasts. It's about the community. It's about just coming together and appreciating these watches, regardless of brand, regardless of socioeconomic status, anything like that. It's just coming together and enjoying watches. A hundred percent. Exactly that. Yes. Like, I don't care if you even own a watch, if you're enthusiastic about watches and you're like a young enthusiast or like someone new to the hobby and you just want to learn great. If you have 50 watches and you just want to sit down and tell people about them. Awesome. Like, it's just a, like, we don't care your job title. We don't care you know, the brands that you have in your collection, we don't care about any of that stuff. So um, it's exactly that. It's about the people and the, and the passion and, and um, every, everything is welcome from, you know, Swatch to, you know, a Patek Grand Comp, like anything, anything is fine mm -hmm. <laughs> with us. And so with that, with that kind of feeling of, of you know, uh, community and bringing people together and genuine enthusiasm about watches, how is that translated into some of the partnerships that Red Bar has uh, done over the years and some of the brands that they've worked with? What, why have you worked with certain brands and kind of what sort of, uh, I guess, partnerships and products have you put out together? If you can kind of give like a brief summary. I know there's been a few. Yeah, there's been a few. So we've done, we've done um, before watches with three different brands um one the first one was with maurice lacroix it was a limited edition pontos s limited mm. to 10 pieces um that was the first ever watch collaboration we did and we basically did it because um we like you know we were friends with some of the folks at the brand and you know they they said hey we've got an idea what do you think and we were like okay that sounds cool and honestly honestly the pontos s was a pretty cool watch like mm. it was a it was a great watch um so we were like yeah they showed us renderings and we we're like that looks awesome and but we did a limited run of 10 because we actually didn't really you know we had no sense whatsoever of what the appetite would be for a red bar collab like this was this was a long time ago this was before like collaborations became like the thing that like everything like you know that they were the, before they were commonplace basically mm -hmm. Um, and, and it turns out, uh, we had quite good reception of, uh, from that watch. Uh, and obviously we sold all 10 of them. Um, although actually we sold nine of them. Let me, let me rephrase. We sold nine of them. Maurice Lacroix kept one for their, um, you know, collection, whatever. Uh, I don't know if it's a museum or not, to be fair, <laughs> like, but they kept it, you know, as, as like a, a, a piece in their headquarters. And they came to us uh, this past year and said, we'd like to auction it. We'd like mm. to do something to you know either sell it or whatever but like and we said can we do it to benefit a charity and um and they said yes so we uh we did an instagram auction um and sold that uh donated money to the ace 
NAACP Legal Defense Fund, I think. Mm. Um, so we, you know, this was like at the height of like a lot of the um, protests and things that were happening. And we felt that that was a, an appropriate um, place to funnel the money. Mm -hmm. So um, the second watch we ever, that we did was with Oris. Um, Oris is, we're really good friends with those guys. Like we, there's a lot of love for Oris in the Red Bar community and the collector community at large, I think. Um, you know, it's a, uh, it's a great brand, really good uh, bang for the buck. You know, you get a lot of watch for, uh, for a reasonable price point. Um, we like them a lot. And we had started talking about doing watch probably about a year before, it, less than a year before it came out actually. Because I remember where I was when I had the first phone call <laughs> about it. Um, so it was, I was like on the grounds of the US Open. So it was late summer, the year before it came out that we started talking about it. And then um, we announced it at Couture in Vegas in 2018, I think. Again, years are all blurring together, but I believe it was 2018. Um, and we, that piece, that one, we did a limited run of a hundred. Mm -hmm. um, they were very popular. Um, we sold out of like, I think we sold like 80 of them before the weekend of Couture was over. Mm. Um, Cause we did have, so that was, we, we partnered with Couture that year to have the first, like, so Couture is usually just a trade only show, like only uh, dealers and our only industry and press can come. Mm -hmm. um, they wanted to have collectors. So that we partnered with them to bring some collectors. They had to be all Red Bar members and, you know, vetted uh, to be on the floor. Uh, so there were a bunch of Red Bar members. We, we announced it at the Oris party at the <laughs> event. So obviously the people that were there were like, I get first dibs, sweet. Um, and that one, you know, eventually sold, sold out uh, completely as well. We, we and Oris donated the entirety uh, of the, um, the profit uh, which was fifty thousand dollars to our charitable fund, so we we um, we made zero dollars on it, uh, which is which is fine by me. Mm -hmm. um, the whole point of that was to was to uh, to generate money for the charitable fund, and the reason that another reason that we work with Oris not just because we like them, like because they're really nice people. I don't know if you've ever met anybody from Oris, but they're all really nice. I did an but, interview with uh, VJ Geronimo the other oh, day. VJ. His episode just hasn't been put up yet, but yeah, fantastic people, fantastic brand, absolutely. Yeah, VJ's great, and VJ was you know very instrumental in in the uh, development and of that watch as well. Um, but uh, we also like that they also kind of they're very committed to giving back. So you know they they've done a watch with Coral uh, Restoration Foundation. They, mm -hmm. they you know they do a lot of work with other nonprofits and charities and stuff. So um, we feel that they their kind of values align with ours, uh, which I think was a, a really strong reason for us going you know doing a collaboration with them. Um, the third brand that we did a collaboration with was Frederick Constant, which came out. Um, at, was announced at our global meetup, which was virtual last year, um, which um, I have one of them right here, which again, I'm gonna try to get it without the, um, without the glare, cause I've got a light right there. But this one, it's so that we launched their High Life collection. Hmm. Let me see if you get closer. Um, I'll send you pictures of all these after. Sure. Put them into the edit. But um, so they launched a new collection called the High Life. Mm -hmm. um, which to um, 
which you know is also the name of a beer in the United States, but, uh, but it's actually a really good collection. It's like beautiful case shape. Um, it's it's uh, it's kind of harkening back to like the beginning of their brand where they mm -hmm. had a watch that had this same case shape. Um, we have one one version that's uh, just a Cox certified three hander with a date, um, and then the other one is a perpetual calendar, and which is. I'm going to say it's a perpetual calendar in-house movement under $10,000. Wow. Um, so we did those. There's an addition of 10 of those. There, they actually, there's still some of these available. Um, the cost one is, is like 1995 US, I think. And the perpetual, I am not going to say the price out loud because I know it's under 10,000, but I don't know the specific dollar amount off the top of my head. However, that's really good value for the money. Mm. It's a beautiful watch. Um, I got the personal uh, joy of being able to put a red moon on the moon face complication in the perpetual calendar. Um, Cause I was like, that would be cool. No one's ever done that. I mm. don't think anybody's ever done that, but there's a blood moon on this watch and it is cool and I like it. Um, so we're really proud of that collaboration. And again, with the charitable aspect, we always want there to be some kind of charitable aspect to, um, to any watch collaborations we do. So Frederick Constant has a partnership with an organization called Donors Choose. Um, it is a, an organization that I've supported since 2007. Um, it is appalling that it even exists because it is an organization that um, allows school teachers in public schools in the United States to apply for um, money for projects to fund things like school supplies for their for their students and stuff like that. So it's it's a when I say it's appalling that it exists, it's 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 really upsetting to me that our public school system cannot supply teachers with these essential things to make sure that their students have a successful education. Um, I, in the past, teachers would go out of their own pockets to get this stuff. Mm -hmm. But Donors Choose allows uh, people, individuals like myself or whoever to donate um, to the website. And then you can pick classrooms. And like, if you're really passionate about like uh, STEM topics or like engineering or math or whatever your deal is that you like, you can fund projects with um, either by type or by location. Um, so I love that charity. They've had a partnership with them for a long time. So as part of the, the, um, part of the, uh, deal with this watch is every watch purchased by a U.S. purchaser, cause it's a U.S. charity, um, gets, um, a, a $50, uh, card that they can then use to fund a project. Mm. Um, if it, if the rest, the, the watches that are purchased by inter international purchasers, that money the donors choose money is already with donors choose. So we'll, mm. we'll be able to fund uh, a project from, we'll be able to decide which project to fund from the international purchasers, um, mm -hmm. Redbar HQ will decide. But that was like, for those, I mean, really the, in some cases, the brands approach us, in some cases we approach brands. We've had a lot of conversations with a lot of brands, but we wanna make sure that A, we really like the watch. So like the Oris one is a Diver 65, it's fantastic. The dial is insanely beautiful. Mm -hmm. The Frederic Constant ones are really beautifully executed. They're gorgeous. Their price point can't be beat for the kind of complications. Pontos S is just a straight up cool watch. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to like the watch. 
we have to have some alignment in brand value or brand values. I don't mean value as in dollars. I mean, like giving back and, you know, supporting nonprofits and things like that. And, you know, it has to, it has to make sense for us, you know, from both an aesthetic and, you know, mechanical kind of perspective. So like there are some brands that I will not name that we would probably not partner with. There are some brands that we would really love to partner with, but would be probably outside of the price range for our core kind of collector. So, um, so, you know, we have to make some decisions with regards to that, but that's pretty much how we make, uh, how we, how we kind of approach it. Um, okay. We have also, I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep. No, rambling. please continue. <laughs> Um, we also have partnered with Wolf, um, uh, who makes watch winders and um, and watch boxes, and we did a we did a collab with them uh, last year as well, um, which was in the works for like a year. Like you know, again, COVID, COVID messed up everything. Um, I saw the like the the um, I, I saw the like the prototypes of those at the last Basel that I was ever at, so which was 2019, and um, they launched in 2020. And they're really just great products. Again, great people, really just nice folks to work with. And, you know, they're just like, that's, and that's, again, it always comes back to the people for me, you mm -hmm. know, like we partnered, we, you know, we could, we could have made watch boxes with a number of people, but like their products are awesome. And they like their winders work well, their box mm -hmm. watch boxes are beautifully constructed. Like everything we love the product, but like we always, we also really like, you know, the people that work for Wolf, mm -hmm. like they're great guys. So, so we're like, I think that's, um, you know, kind of our approach to it there. We want to make sure that, you know, we, we actually love and would use and purchase the products ourselves. Like I bought this watch. This was not given to me. I bought that watch. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, you know, so we just, you know, we want to make sure that, that, uh, you know, it's all, it all kind of comes back to, it's stuff we like. It's people we want to work with. It's people we like. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a good way of doing business, right? It's, it keeps things simple and easy. If you're able to work with people that, you know, they're easy to work with. You have the same values and opinions going into it ahead of time, right? Then you're not, you're not dealing with conflicts over, over things such as morals and, and whatever, right? Yeah. When you're, you know, you've touched several times on charitable work. Why was that something that was important when establishing Red Bar, that there was an aspect of charity to it? Um, well, all three of us actually uh, have our own sort of um, our own kind of views on charity, and we're all active, actively involved in some form of charitable work. Mm. Um, James, James is particularly like his 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 uh, causes change from time to time, but he's very uh, passionate about whale and dolphin mm. uh, conservation. Um, so, you know, he, he feels really strongly about that. Adam he doesn't talk about this a lot, but he volunteers at a shelter. Um, he'll like, there's a, a shelter that he's, he's actually volunteered there for a long time where he goes and he sets up, he sets up the beds, he does all the stuff to prep. And then he, he, and I don't think he's doing it right now during, during, um, the pandemic, but you know, like there's a, you, you can volunteer to like sit up all night and just make sure that everything's cool so he does that he spends overnights at the shelter um and i've been involved with um a charity here in new york called bailey house which is started in 1983 as a um providing housing for uh people with hiv and aids and has since expanded 
to um, providing, you know, housing, healthcare, supportive services, all kinds of stuff, food pantry, and all this other, a lot of supportive services essentially to people living with HIV and AIDS or other chronic illnesses because thankfully with medications, it's now a chronic illness and not a death sentence. Mm. Um, and I've been really passionate and involved with that charity for probably actually since 2006, 2007, something like that. I'm the chair of the board. I'm on the board of directors of the parent organization. Like I, I'm really involved with that. And so we were all have this, like we all had this passion for giving back in some way to either to either our local communities or causes that we believed in very strongly. And um, so we all kind of agreed that that had to be, that had to be the lens in which we looked at anything we do. Mm -hmm. Again, this hobby is something that none of us need. Many of the people in this hobby have some discretionary income that they could use to to give back to folks or folks or creatures or the environment or whatever that's less fortunate than them. So, um, so we encourage that. We don't require our chapters to do that, but we do encourage them to identify again to the point of people knowing what their local communities need. Mm. We do encourage them to identify local charities. Like mm. national charities are amazing and I'm, uh, global charities are amazing. We're all like happy to support all of that but we definitely want our local chapters to take a look at their own communities and see what the need is. And we encourage them um, to, uh, to support if they, can, if they can do so, whether it's volunteering time or money or whatever. Like some, some chapters support things like Habitat for Humanity. Some chapters support their local uh, animal shelter. Like we're, we're fine with all of it. We just, you know, we definitely encourage people to look at it through that lens. Mm -hmm. That's, I think that's a, a absolutely important thing to do, right? Especially as an organization. And and like you said, people generally in this hobby has discretionary income and being able to kind of bring them together within the group of Red Bar and then also give them a focus on how they can kind of make their own communities a better place too through their hobby that they're enjoying. I think that's a phenomenal idea. And I, I definitely see the value in, in making that sort of one of the core uh, values of red bar and that that's really something special um so what is next for red bar going forward and then i want to get into you as a collector and, and stop talking about red bar stuff so okay. um so what's next for us we are figuring out um well we, we have figured out some stuff about our um our next global meetup and we'll be making an announcement about that soon um obviously um you know large gatherings are still a very large question mark uh, in 2021. Um, but what you know, what we're going to continue to do is one is part of the thing I mentioned earlier is about the survey we sent to chapter heads. So um, one of the things we've been working on while we've got a little bit of you know, I guess it's not really downtime when when you know I've, I've got a packed schedule for watches and wonders on online next week. But you know what we're doing when we're not meeting in person is like trying to figure out how we can help our chapters, um, you know, run more efficiently and, and, and just kind of support them, especially while they're meeting virtually. So we, we surveyed them about like, what kind of online tools are you using to keep in touch with your members? Like, are you using Zoom? Are you doing Instagram lives? Are you using like Microsoft Teams? Like, what are you doing? You know, like basically what are you doing? Are you meeting virtually or not? Do you think you're gonna meet in person this year or not? And just kind of understanding what our global um, member base and chapters want to see. So if we're going to keep, well, 
let's be real. Virtual things are going to be a thing for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's actually a benefit. I think it's, I think it's a benefit and opportunity in that I have been to chapter meetups that are virtual to places that I never have been. Mm. So like I went to a, I went to a virtual meetup in Copenhagen never mm. been to Copenhagen. I'd love to go to Copenhagen, mm. but I have not been there. I went, you know, I've been to, I've I actually probably in 2020, I visited more chapters than I visited the probably the previous three years, um, just virtually. And I think that's an opportunity for us to all come together. Um, so, you know, our, we have a very active um, chat on WhatsApp with our chapter heads and they, in, you know, invite each other to each other's chapters events. Um, so as we're going to keep doing these virtual things, we wanted to kind of understand what our chapters want to want for that and how we can support them uh, in that in those efforts. And then, you know, as we slowly return to in-person stuff, you know, we want to help. We want to make sure that everybody, you know, kind of has what they need from a safety perspective and all of that. So we're we're just kind of looking at a broader thing is how we can support our global community um, as we go forward. Um, you know, we'll still continue to do virtual events. We've done a few that are on Zoom that we recorded and put on our YouTube channel. We launched a YouTube channel last year. That was a thing that <laughs> we really, we had one, but we really weren't doing much with it. Mm -hmm. And so when we started doing these virtual meetups, we were just like, we'll record them and put them on YouTube and see if people want to watch them. And it turns out, yeah. So, um, so we're, so we're going to ramp that back up a little bit more, um, and then, um, you know, once we can return, we are actively planning a return to like a large in-person event. When I don't think, I personally don't think it's realistic for 2021. I think that's probably going to be 2022. But um, I'd love to start hanging out with some Red Bar folks in New York again. Mm -hmm. um, we'll probably be doing that um, in in the summer, you know, when it's like a little warmer, cause it is like, it is literally freezing outside today. Mm -hmm. I don't, it's not okay. Um, once it gets a little warmer, we can do some outdoor stuff as people start to feel comfortable with, with small gatherings again. Uh, I think a lot of our other chapters are gonna be doing that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just just continuing to, to try and support and nurture the, the broader community and then, you know, the individual chapters as they try to grow and, and continue moving forward it's fantastic it sounds like there's a lot to look forward to coming up with red bar uh, and going into the future and kind of seeing what um some of the changes will be but it's good to know that there's still going to be kind of a, a pushback to you know enjoying getting together still and having some having that sense of like in-person community as well i think that's that's really exciting and something to look forward to for a lot of people um, yeah, i miss it i miss it man i gotta tell you i i bet yeah like i i i never thought i would say that i, that I missed because like going to going to the same bar every week sometimes was like a little bit of a slog you know like i'd be like oh, i need to go because i'm ceo and stuff but like I never thought I would say I miss it, but I miss it. I really, really like, I like, I not just that, not just like a crowded bar with like a lot of people hunched over a table, but I just miss sitting down with someone and putting watches on the table, even if it's one person mm -hmm. and, and just like taking a watch out of the watch roll and being like, you try it, you try it on, you know, like that's, I, I can't wait to get back to that.
Mm-hmm. I think that's some, one of those things that a lot of people were kind of taking for granted before this was really just being able to spend time with other people and uninhibited and just enjoy the things that we enjoyed before, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's exciting to get back to that. I know in Canada as well, we're still uh, very much in lockdown and, and taking our having some issues kind of with the rollout for the vaccine and stuff like that. So um, once that's done, I think you'll see quite the influx of people back into similar situations and and enjoying themselves for sure. Um, So with you as a collector, um, you were really like, you really were like a pioneer in bringing women into this watch collecting hobby. Um, you were you were one of the first and you were one of the first to really uh, establish yourself on Instagram uh, as posting your collection as well. Can you expand on what it was like when you first started out as a woman in the hobby and when it wasn't as common to see females in the hobby? Yeah. So it's interesting that you say that. Cause I know there, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm one of the first, I just, I just feel like I, there, there are other women who, who uh, were posting on Instagram. Obviously there were others posting on Instagram before me. Um, but no, when I first, so again, when I first started coming to to the hobby first, it was in-person stuff. So it was the at Red Bar, right? So, um, and that group of people was very accepting. There was no, there were there were actually other women there. Like as much as it is a male-dominated hobby, there, there you know, there were um, already women, you know, coming to Red Bar. Um, but I got a lot of, uh, basically it just was like a bunch of friendly, passionate people that kind of didn't care what gender anybody was. And we're just sharing knowledge. So, so for for me at first, it was great. I was like walking into this wonderful like wonderland of watches on a table, and I got to learn a bunch of stuff. Um, I've never, I'm really fortunate in that I've never run into a lot of the issues that some women seem to have on Instagram. I think because I came into the hobby, um, I was married at the time, and I came into the hobby like we came we came into the hobby together. So we were like known as a couple Mm. and so there weren't a lot of dudes rolling up in my dms like you know like like there was none of that stuff um and nobody was you know nobody was saying things to me about like well that's not a woman's watch or you shouldn't wear that you know which i know some other women have experienced on online Mm. so overall from the community it's always been really positive for me um yes have i walked into a room and gone wow i'm the only woman in it yeah, but I have actively tried to uh, take a role, and I think um, at least in you know my local chapter in New York and London um, specifically has done a really good job about this, um, which is you know actively trying to get more women to come. Mm-hmm. And it's not just I think this is again there's an intimidation factor sometimes. You like some some women are perfectly fine walking into a room full of guys that they don't know, and some women may feel intimidated by that. Um, some women may be just starting their collecting journey. And again, and anyone who's starting their collecting journey may feel intimidated because they don't know stuff. So what we try to do is remove that intimidation factor. You know, we're very welcoming. We actually, we, we invite, you know, if we meet women at like some other watch event, like we invite them to, you know, so, um, but what I think is really the 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 main crux of the issue and why this is a, such a male-dominated hobby is the industry. The industry has basically, for the most part, failed to talk to women as if they're people. And spoiler alert, women are people. I know it's just shocking. It's very shocking information. 
but it's, and I don't think that the industry as a whole, and I'm not trying to tar everybody with this brush. I don't think that they actively think that women aren't people. It's just that there's this my marketing mindset where they're like men, you know, like, so there's like categories of watches. There's like dive mm. watches, sport watches, chronographs, what, you know, there's like all these categories. And then there's another category called women's. Mm -hmm. And it's to, to quote Kara from her Hodinkee article, it's shrink it and pink it. It's like a smaller watch that's with a pink strap and diamonds on it and it's quartz. Mm. There's a lot of that. It's getting better. But the marketing of that has always been women don't care. They think women don't care. Mm -hmm. So they treat women as if they don't care. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you another spoiler. All women don't think the same way. I know. You're Again, dropping shocking. some truth bombs here. You're going to blow so many minds it's, with this. <laughs> it's, I know this is going to come as a shock to most people, but there's, I think that thinking is outdated. It, I was told mm -hmm. by somebody at, high up at a watch brand like many years ago that it was, you know, they did, you know, they, they did market research and women didn't want manual wine watches. And I was like, when was this market research done? And they were like the eighties. So I think there's just this mentality in the industry as a whole that thinks that women aren't interested. And I mm -hmm. think they're wrong. And I think they're missing an opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think the opportunity is that if you educate your consumer, if you educate the target consumer that you're trying to reach, then they will understand why your product is special. Mm -hmm. So it's really about talking to women as a whole and being like, this is why this is special, not assuming something about women as a whole and saying, this is what they want. Because mm -hmm. if, look, if we all wanted the same stuff, life would be really fucking boring. Mm -hmm. like, and I bet you that you can think about a bunch of guys, you know, who all approach collecting differently. Mm -hmm. So I can't say to you, like all men like the Tudor Pelagos, because mm -hmm. not all of them do. Mm -mm. And you can't look at me and say, you know, all women like fears because mm -hmm. probably, maybe they've never seen fears or maybe, maybe they don't, maybe they like bigger, chunkier watches and not mm -hmm. elegant watches. Like people are individuals. So we should just like the industry as a whole should talk to them. So I think that's a big part of the problem. And then, you know, but the community as a whole is pretty, it's pretty cool. There's mm -hmm. a lot more women in it now, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, you know, there's women who are doing podcasts. There's like uh, 10 and two, two women podcasters. There's uh watch fam, which is, uh, which is uh, Suzanne Wong and Letitia Hershey, who started a Instagram account and also a clubhouse uh, to talk about, you know, women in the industry and women's watches like, um, but, you know, it, it's, I think that we're right at a, we're right at a point where it's being talked about. And hopefully that will move the gigantic container ship that is the Swiss watch industry and allow it to not be stuck anymore in that outdated mindset. And that's right. I just used the the evergreen, ever given container ship meme as a metaphor for the Swiss watch industry, but it's kind of true. <laughs> I I think that's it's a good idea, right? It's it's a good, it's a good uh analogy in a good way of kind of of kind of painting the picture of what it's like. I mean, it's a very old, very antiquated industry with a lot of 
old dudes from old families that have been at this for generations. Right. And it's a very slow moving, uh, very slow moving industry. Um, I think, you know, you specifically though, with your work posting on Instagram, like you kind of became a bit of a tastemaker in the hobby though, when it came to, and I'm using it for the sake of uh, simplicity in my explanation, but in basically women wearing men's watches, um, you know, like wearing, you know, seeing pictures of like your universal Genève that is obviously like a very, um, it's a, like a unisex sized piece by today's standards, but traditionally was marketed as a men's watch for, for, uh, pilots. Right. Um, so can you kind of expand a little bit, I guess, on like how that makes you feel as somebody, as a, as a tastemaker in the industry and driving women towards posting, purchasing and enjoying watches that traditionally would have been considered men's watches, but I guess now are more unisex. Yeah, that's interesting. I basically just bought what I liked. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I have, so I look, there's a couple ways for me to look at this. One is, you know, what is the definition of a woman's watch? Mm-hmm. A woman owns it. Mm-hmm. Like, so this is a woman's watch because I am a woman and I own this watch. Like mm-hmm. that's, you know, basic, like kind of rules of English and, and possession and all of that stuff. But um, the other thing is, it's part of my collection. I only own two watches that were marketed as women's watches. So mm-hmm. one of them is from the 1940s mm-hmm. and the other one is a Dior 8 with a Zenith movement in it. So, and uh, so like those were one, one is part of my, like, I love really weird vintage stuff. So like, I like to find like obscure kind of vintage pieces um, that like aren't the kind that people would hunt down so I can find them at like, like weird little auction houses for very cheap. Um, and the other one was like, this looks cool. It has a great movement and it was on, it was dirt cheap comparatively. Like it was an insane sale. So those, those two pieces were mostly impulse purchases, right? Mm. My, the rest of my collection is mark is our watches that are marketed to men, Mm. um, or were marketed to men. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, or, or not, or they were just, or they're, marketed as unisex they don't Mm. or they're not gendered so um i just bought what i liked and i think that's kind of what women have to do because the watches that are marketed to women are so limited in their scope you know they're like they're either tiny they're covered in diamonds (laughs) they're quartz they're you know they got a butterfly on them or something like they're you know there's just this very limited thing and, and i I actually have an anecdote about this because I have a friend. Uh, she came to me through another collecting hobby. We both we both collect um, vintage handbags as well, and uh, we started talking about Red Bar. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were we were at a meetup, so there there is a whole other community that like meets up to talk about like leather goods. So you know it, it, it's the same mentality though. Mm-hmm. Um, we were at a meetup for that, and she she was like. And I started explaining what Red Bar was. And she said, hmm, okay. So she went home that night and she started doing research. And she started by looking at ladies' watches, you know, in on, on various watch websites. And she texts me the next day and she says, There's really not many watches out there for women, are there? Like that that aren't this jewelry kind of, you know, f- concept. And I said, No. And I said, don't look at women's watches. Mm. 
you know, I, I said, if you want to learn about watches and you want to get into the hobby, like just look at watches, just look at, see what you like and what you, what you want. So she said, okay. And she goes away for like, you know, a week and she comes back to me and she says, so I, I think I want a universal Genève pole router or a Rolex Milgauss. And I said, okay, those are very unconventional first watch choices for someone who's just getting into the hobby. Mm -hmm. And she has a PhD in the history and philosophy of science. And mm. the reason that she got into that field is because of Faraday's work. And so mm -hmm. the fact that those watches have Faraday cages in them was why she wanted one. Mm -hmm. Now that's a very specific person and a very specific route at which she came to what watch she wanted. And she bought a uh, she bought a vintage Milgauss, a 1019, and that was her first nice watch. Okay, so she rolls into Red Bar with with that watch, and they're like, "This is," and everybody was like, "This is your first, this is your first watch," like because that's like, but that's where she that's where she landed because she went by what her interests were, mm -hmm. right, and not like by what the marketing told said was for her. Right. So I think, I think that's kind of how I approach collecting too. Like I, I don't give a shit what the marketer says. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't care if you say this is for a man. I don't care if you said this was for a man 40 years ago. Like it doesn't matter to me. Does it, does it, do I like it? Do I like the movement? Do I like the aesthetics? Like, does it fit me? You know, mm -hmm. like there's, there's 9 million other things that are like, that's like literally my last priority. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like it's literally the lowest thing on the list. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that I just approach it as I don't look at the gender category at all when I'm sh if I'm like researching a watch or I'm looking at it. I just don't I just don't even do that. So um, so I do have quite an eclectic collection as a result because mm -hmm. I just you know I buy stuff that appeals to me for various reasons. Like it's not it's not because it's um you know if anyone's trying to sell it to me because of my gender mm -hmm. so yeah. and so what's in your collection then if you can give us some insight into kind of what you have so many things okay so what i have a bunch of them in front of me here mm. and i'm going to try and show them to you again i'll send you a picture i'll just take iphone pictures and stuff if you sure. want to edit those in um so the one i have that um i think this is this is the only vintage piece on my table, um, is uh, Patek Philippe 3574. It, uh, you can't, there you go, you can kind of see it. Um, so this is a, it, you know, it's got a Tonneau shaped case. It's, it was made in 1974, which is my birth year. Um, there's a great picture of it. There's a, a New York Times article that I was interviewed in about women collectors and there's a photo of it on there too. Um, I love it. It's a steel case, which is, you know, Patek, didn't do a lot of those mm. um they did these i think i think they only made them for about three years i think it was like 73 72 74 maybe 75 but they they only made a few hundred examples of this case and um this particular dial is like the blue dial variant there's i've only ever seen one other one at auction um i'm sure there's more around mm. but um, and, you know, it's got a Sigma dial. So the, the indices actually like in certain light kind of look like they're diamonds, but they're not, they're white gold, mm. uh, applied indices. And I just like fell in love with it. You know, it's, it was marketed as a men's dress watch or as men's watch. I mean, dress being a 
loose term given it it's steel, but it it actually does kind of read as a dress watch because it's very slim because it's a manual wind. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, it's one of my favorite watches in my collection. And I didn't even, the funny part about that is my, my ex-husband was the one who wanted this watch in the beginning. And then I just kind of took it because <laughs> he worked for Analog Fifth at the time. So that was a dangerous job for him to have because he was like, look at this watch that just came in. That's not on the website yet, you know? Mm. And, uh, and he, he, he wanted to, to try it on and I saw it and I was like, uh, nope, mine. So I ended up buying it instead of instead of him buying it. Um, but I just love it. But you know, again, it's it was marketed as a men's piece, but it's pretty small. It's like thirty-five millimeters. Mm -hmm. So um, it fits on a lot of smaller wrists, uh, no matter what their gender, and it does work as a dress watch very well because of its size. Um, let's see what else do I have? I have. Um, I have an uh, Speedmaster CK2998. Very cool. Um, this one is obviously the first CK2998 reissue. Um, this one has a story. I've actually told this on on uh, on our uh, Instagram lives, but it's the one that got away that I then got back. Right. Okay. So 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 I had so one one of the, a Red Bar member in New York had this watch. Um, he was thinking about selling it, um, and he let me borrow it. So I immediately put it on an Hermes strap, which is kind of one of my other things. I, I really love their straps. They're just mm -hmm. great. Um, and I, and I wore it for like, I don't know, a couple of, it spent, it was at least two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember why. I think there was like a big purchase or like I was renovating my house. There was some reason why I talked myself out of buying it from him because of essentially because of money. Cause I was just, I, I just was like, I can't justify spending the money right now. Mm -hmm. And he sold it. And I, you know, didn't see one again for a little while. And then I, uh, actually this was, this was my, uh, this was my, uh, divorce watch like I was like um I'm getting divorced I gotta treat treat yourself girl you know so so I started looking for one mm -hmm. and um and my uh, my friend who is the chapter head in, uh the red bar chapter head in London uh Dave he's float light on Instagram um oh you should totally talk to him okay he is like seriously I'm gonna, I'm gonna introduce you guys because sure. he, he would be great for the podcast and he's like he is a uh, his collection is insane. It's fantastic. Anyway, um, I was talking to him about it and um, a couple of my other friends were like helping me track one down and all this stuff. And he had one that he had never worn. And so, and he never sells watches. He never parts with watches, but we worked out a trade. Okay. So I traded him for a Slim Dermez that was worth about the same amount of money that he had his eye on. So, um, so we ended up doing that. And that was, that was actually, I obtained this um, in March of 2020 from him in London, which was probably ill-advised for me to be traveling at that time. But it was before, it was before everybody told us not to do that. So, mm -hmm. um, so, but I came home from that trip and there's like, there's very pleasant memories associated with this watch. Cause A, again, it was the one that I had sort of wanted but kept haunting my dreams and I was able to get it back and then also you know that trip was like 
the last fun time <laughs> that I had before um, everything shut down. And so wearing it like, what I think what we'll come back to here is that the ones I wear the most are the ones that have some memory associated with them or the mm. ones that just bring me joy. Mm -hmm. So this one gets a lot of wrist time. Because That's that. awesome. Well, it's, it's, it's cool, um, you know, to have that personal connection with your pieces too, right? I mean, honestly, you know, without the people behind them, the stories behind them, the experiences associated with them, they're just pieces of metal. They're just expensive pieces of metal, right? And <laughs> they're, they're antiquated, obsolete, expenses pieces of metal you know so having 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 those experiences and that connection to your watches it, it brings so much more enjoyment to ownership and wearing them for sure and and yeah, such cool stories as well too right yeah they're super great so i have a few more if, sure. we, have, if we have time absolutely we do um, great so this one is um so this one really 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 unique so let me try and get it in there you can't see it because of the reflection okay, okay. So this is from a guy named Ian Schoen. Yes. Um, he makes pens mostly. Um, it's Schoen Design, S-C-H-O-N underscore D-S-G-N on Instagram. So he makes pens most of the time. Um, he dabbles in watches. Mm -hmm. um, and he makes things out of very unique materials. So this one, I'm trying to see if I can get the case back uh, close is enough. Damascus so or? No. So see how it looks textured? It yeah. looks like it looks like it's hammered. It like okay. Like it's not. It's smooth. So he he does a proprietary um, thing to the titanium. This is titanium. Oh. Um, and he calls it crystalline titanium. Um, so he 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 basically like found. Uh, I think it was in knives. I don't remember what, what the original metal was. He found something that had this crystalline titanium structure and he tried and he had to reverse engineer how to make it because the manufacturer of the thing that he had found wouldn't tell him how to do it. Mm. So he had to figure it out on his, on his own. So he's kind of a mad scientist. Um, we have a, we have a video on our YouTube channel, which is like a tour of his workshop, which shows you like he's, and I say mad scientist in like the most delightful possible sense mm. of that term. He is, mm nice and smart and just like goes uh, I wonder if I can do that and then does it you know he's like that so so he made two of these pieces um as far as I know and then the dial is uh is anodized titanium so you can you know with titanium if you apply different heat and you know uh, an electrical uh, uh sources like to it you can change the color mm -hmm. so um so this is basically a piece unique um, it is using a new old stock uh, Doxa movement that he got a hold of. So he made some other ones in like steel and uh, and other materials, but the the only two I'm aware of in the in the crystal and titanium are the one that I have and the one that my ex husband has. Um, but it's just cool as shit. Like I, it's so unique and it's like it's literally unique, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and it's like not something you see every day. And again, my friend made it. Yeah. So. It, again, I've got, there's like personal stories all over this table, which is interesting when I was picking out the watches for this, for this, because I, I like gravitated towards the ones that have a, have a personal story, I think, but I love wearing like that one I love wearing too. And it gets a lot of comments from like not watch people mm -hmm. also, like watch people are always like, what the fuck is that? But the, the like non-watch people are like, I have literally never seen anything like that. And I'm like, mm -hmm. that is true. You have not. Mm -hmm. but um but i just love i just i just love it and it, again it also makes me happy 
to look at it. Absolutely. Um, and, and what a stunning, like, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to see with the camera. So again, we'll, we'll put pictures up and also encourage people to go check out your Instagram page for photos of it as well. But um, it such a beautiful finish on it, on that case. And it looks so, like you said, it's a piece unique, right? It's absolutely 100% unique. And, and again, even just the story of it being from your friend is one thing, but then the story of the process he had to go to or go through to figure out how to even manufacture this material. That's incredible. Yeah. It's super cool. Yeah. Very cool. It's super cool. So I have a couple more. Mm -hmm. um, I've got one. This one is a brew watch. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you're familiar with the brand brew watches, but um, yes. yeah. So uh, John who makes brew is a, a member of Red Bar New York has been a member since before he made his first brew watch actually. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, he is probably one of the nicest people in the watch industry. Like mm -hmm. he's just a, he's just a really sweet person. Um, when he started making uh when he started like designing watches, um, his own watches anyway, um, you know, he, he was like launching, he launched a Kickstarter. Um, I gave him a little bit of advice on that based on, you know, I have like a lot of creative friends who do Kickstarters and stuff. So I like kind of, kind of, you know, gave him some feedback on it. Obviously a lot of the Red Bar New York folks supported and bought one. Um, and so when he comes out with new designs, like I, I really like the aesthetic that he creates. Like, I just like it. I just like them. Mm -hmm. And their price points are really reasonable. Um, and this one in particular, the dial is just stunning and it is very difficult to see on a zoom. <laughs> but um, again, I'll send you, I'll send you some photos of it, but um, you know, it's it, again, this is like my friend made this, but also it's, just beautiful like mm -hmm. the dial is this like beautiful sunburst and it's like this kind of teal turquoisey color that just it like makes me think of like the water off the coast of anguilla like it's just it's just this clear kind of caribbean water now i want to go on vacation um like i'm when i try to describe this i'm like i a warm place i would like to go to a warm place and bring this watch with me um but I just love it, and it's it's like it's a it's it's a quartz movement, but the but the chronograph is mechanical, so it's a mecha quartz kind of kind of jam, and um, I kind of like that because mm -hmm. I like if this is the watch that I if I'm really feeling like I want to look at something that I like aesthetically, and I don't want to wind something that has been sitting around for like a couple weeks, I just grab it and go. Because like, you know, now in the, in the, in the pandemic times, getting out of the house is a lot, there's like a process to it. Um, so this is one that I, that's kind of my go-to, it gets a lot of wrist time also because because beautiful and it's easy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I do, I do dumb stuff like with my chronographs. I like, I do a lot of, a, a lot of work with events and stuff. So we, we do a lot of timed presentations and things like that. So I time digital stuff with my chronographs because I'm like a dork. So I just, I, you know, I'm standing there and then somebody's giving a PowerPoint and I'm like, like tapping the chronograph. Uh, anyway, uh, but, but it's, you know, it's just, again, it's one, it's one of those that just makes me happy to, yeah. makes me happy to look at. Um, I've got, got two more if that's okay absolutely okay so this one you wouldn't be able to read even if you could see it 
properly with the camera, but this is okay. a platinum, this is a platinum swatch. Wow. So, yeah. So the dial, you can see, you can kind of see, like you can barely even see the hands on this thing. Mm -hmm. It is wildly unreadable, but I love it because it is ridiculous. So it is, uh, it was made in 1993. Mm -hmm. um, they did like just one edition of it and it, you know, it's literally platinum. It is heavy as hell. I imagine um, so. It's automatic. Um, you know, and so people think that the system 51 is like, they, they, they've been doing automatic watches forever. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, they, they had all, whole lines of automatic watches um, before this, but it's an automatic, uh, at a movement, um, the only hand on it that you can really reliably see, unless you've like angled it exactly correctly in the light is the second is a lollipop second hand because it, okay. it has loom on it. Um, but I mean, it's ridiculous. It's a, it's fucking who makes a swatch out like at a platinum. So the thing I love, I just love it because it's, I love it because it's ridiculous. And, uh, I wear it specifically because it's ridiculous. Um, but like, it's just, it's, it's fun. And again, if this, if for me, if, if you're not having fun with this hobby, like you're kind of not doing it right. Like, like I'm not here to dictate anybody else's approaches to collecting, but like have fun. Like mm. it's, it should be fun. It should mm. be like lighthearted and enjoyable. But yeah, that one, I, I like to wear that one when I go to swatch stores to like get batteries replaced in my other, in my battery operated swatches. Cause they're always like, what? <laughs> like they're always just like confused. It's great. Um, all right. And the last one that I have here is a piece unique also. So this is a piece unique Arnold and Son. Mm. So this came about because uh, we did an event with Arnold and Son in, I don't even know what year it was, but it was a long, it was years ago. So at the time, this is the HM Perpetual Moon. Um, I love moon phase tattoo or moon phases. I have a moon phase tattoo on my arm. This is actually taken from a Universal Genève triple calendar that I used to own. I don't own anymore, mm -hmm. but like I loved the face, like the the little guy, the little man in the moon face on it. So um, that's the one I chose for the tattoo. But so I love the moon face complication. Um, as we talked about before we started here, it is completely irrelevant to my actual day to day life. Like there is no reason for me to need to know what phase the moon is in unless I want to look at it in the sky. Like that's it. There's no reason. I don't need to know when high tide is. Like I don't need, like I'm not casting spells that you know of. I, you know, like, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not keeping an eye out for werewolves, like whatever the, I don't need to know what phase of the moon it is. But there's something both kind of geeky, like geeky about it. I like love the idea of like knowing the position of, you know, the stars, the moon, the sky and what's happening. Um, and there's also something a little romantic about it. Like mm. a full moon is, you know, it's like cast this beautiful light. And it, there was a really good one a few days ago. It was just gorgeous. I like, I was coming home from something and I stopped in my tracks and just stared at it. Like there's something really appealing to me about that. So the moon phase complication being totally unnecessary. Therefore, I am completely obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. um, so I saw this this uh, this piece, did this uh, event with them. They had three versions of it, a stainless steel one with a black dial uh, and, and like a rose gold and yellow gold one with blue dials. And I love 
blue. As you may have noticed, I think like three or four of the pieces I showed you were blue. Um, and this particular blue that they do is this gorgeous royal blue. It's like an enamel guilloche dial, it's gorgeous. Um, and I asked them if they would do steel with the blue dial, because I mm. don't, generally speaking, wear um, yellow rose gold, although I am slowly moving in that direction. Um, I Those white metals are just more aesthetically appealing to me and look better on me, generally mm -hmm. speaking. Um, so I asked them to make it and they said yes. It took a year because they hand, they, they like hand enameled the dial and the moon phase disc and they were not, like it didn't pass quality control because they wanted it to, you know, they wanted the colors to be perfect. Um, so they finally got it to me. Um, it is, uh, first of all, the, the watch itself, it's, it's just a two-hander with a moon phase. That's it, mm. manual wind. Um, it does have a, it's the, the moon phase uh, indicator is, uh, if you keep it wound, is accurate to within one day every 122 years, which is pretty phenomenal. Although there is a Christian van der Klau, uh watch that has, uh, that's accurate, like to in, into the thousands of years. And I'm okay. like, I, I feel like that's a little over the top. Like my great, 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 great grandchildren may not want like, Anyway, but um, but this is one of the most accurate moon phase indicators on the market. Mm. It also is really easy to set, which mm -hmm. is one of the things about um, about uh, like perpetual calendars that really like bums people out. Like when they're really like it's complicated to set them, so people will leave the moon phase uh, not set correctly, which drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. um, when people show up with a perpetual calendar and every other thing is set correctly, and I'm like, oh, the moon phase. Um, but it's really easy to set because there's like a little pusher, which you can't see on this camera, but it's, uh, you know, above the crown or mm. it's, it's at like two o'clock. Um, and there's, um, again, I'll send you pictures. There's a little indicator here on the back of the movement, trying not to get the reflection right here. Mm. Um, and so you press this, um, pusher and it moves the moon phase indicator, um, on the front as well as on the back um like by a couple of days basically mm -hmm. so if you if you have like an app like watchville or something like that where you can see what the moon phase is you can very quickly get there um so it's like a quick set mm -hmm. moon phase basically um and uh so it's really easy to set um when you haven't been you know wearing it for a little while um and i just i like they did eventually make a production model of this, mm -hmm. um, but mine is uh, hand is like hand painted and or hand enameled, and the production one was not. Um, I love it, and mine has a slightly purplish tinge to it, where the production model was true blue. Mm -hmm. um, and so I also love that, so I can see the, I can see the subtleties in the light, um, and I just the execution of the moon phase itself in this watch is stunning. Like the texture of the moon and all of that is like the attention to detail and it is great. The constellations in the sky as you move the moon phase disc. So when it's a new moon, there's a constellation visible. So like there's some, there's still something for you to look at. Like it's just executed really, really well. Hmm. Um, and and then, you know, the, the, I guess the finishing touch on it is they, <laughs> they said we want anything engraved on it. Now it's an exhibition case back. Mm -hmm. So they only had room right here between these two screws 
uh, which you can't see again, but, uh, <laughs> but um, I had them put my initials in binary uh, on there because I was like, I don't want to put my whole name. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something a little nerdier. Mm -hmm. if, I, if, if I couldn't possibly be nerdier than, than I have come across during this uh, conversation, but I just wanted it to be like, I would have put something, you know, weirder on there, but my initials in, in binary are fine. So there is a bonus bonus prize to this, which I will send you a photo of as well. Sure. Which is that um, Lee, who I mentioned, the one that made the numerals for the Fears watch, um, he used to take commissions for his watch-related artwork. Okay. And so for, I think it was for Christmas one year, um, I had joked around about um, Arnold and Son creating a, um, a Death Star version of this watch. Nice. Um, and he, my ex-husband commissioned Lee to draw the watch with the Death Star on it instead of the moon. So I have the illustration of, you know, sort of what I would, what I would love to see if like George Lucas wouldn't sue them. Um, so, uh, so I'll, I'll send you a picture of that as well. Cause it's, cause it's, it's kind of, it's just cool. Like, Absolutely. Just, yeah. So I like, you know, I have watch related art that came from the, the watch itself and I just I love wearing it I particularly of course love wearing it when the moon is full because mm -hmm. I get the full I get to experience the uh the full like execution that they did of the of the moon itself but mm -hmm. so that one's the one that's like really really unique and personal to me um although some of these I've shown you are also unique and personal this one is like very much so I imagine so and such a incredible kind of journey you took with the watch through its design and then the unique cues that are specific to your model only and and so how much longer like did they did they make the production model of that watch because they made your piece unique and they just loved it so much or was that always kind of the plan i am not sure i my assumption is that they had consumer demand mm -hmm. um for it um but i i don't know the answer to that i i um it was like it was probably a year or two later that they came out with the production model mm -hmm. um actually dave david who i mentioned uh float light who who i got the ck 298 from has one he has one of the production models so i i have he got it um re i don't know when recently is but he got it sometime between last March and now. Um, so I have not seen them next to each other in person, which I would love to do because I'd love to compare them like in the metal um, to see the, you know, cause it's, it's very subtle differences. It's really color mm -hmm. in the dials, but like the, the movement's identical, the, the moon phase itself is identical, but, um, but yeah, I don't, I honestly don't know. I don't know if, if it was that they loved mine or that they had consumers asking the same question that I was asking, which is, you know, it's probably a little bit of both. And in the design of that piece, did you get a ton of input sort of when it came to the, the layout and the, the colorways and, and what was used in that, in that piece? Or did they kind of just say, we got you, we'll take care of this type thing? They kind of said, we got you, okay. um, which is a different approach which is a different way than like our what like the red bar watch collaborations have been like we've seen renderings and things like that with those those kinds of things with this one they just kind of they were just kind of like now nah, we got this and then you know they they did send me a photo um 
before they sent it out to make sure that it, you know, that like the final version that they felt met their quality controls was acceptable to me. But like, they didn't even bother, like the interim ones, the ones that they rejected, they didn't even, they were just like, nope, these aren't good enough. So we're not even going to show you, mm. which it's fine with me. Like, an awkward experience if they went through all that trouble and you didn't like it though right, <laughs> they I know, right? well i'm sure they would have just repainted it or something yeah. but, but but you know although the enameling is not as simple as repainting but you yes. know like they probably would have just redone it but um it turned out it turned out better than i could have imagined so absolutely and we'll definitely put some pictures up of that as well i think that'll be a stunning one of the most stunning pieces to see from this whole uh this whole episode for sure it, it's a it's an incredible watch. Um, really quickly, is there anything next for your collection? Is there anything that you're looking forward to thinking about picking up? Um, actually, yeah. Um, I was I slow I went, well, let me just put it this way. Uh, there was a point in, in the pandemic in which I just was like, there's not much else to do except cook and buy stuff. So like I wasn't going out, I wasn't traveling, I wasn't really spending a lot mm -hmm. of money in any other capacity. So I, I I may have picked up more watches than I probably should have uh, last year. Um, so I slowed way down um, and I and I kind of, I kind of tapped the brakes a little bit, mm -hmm. um, but I went, um, I saw the uh, new Doxa, the carbon Doxa yes. and they are, so a couple of my friends picked some up. So James of course is, was instrumental in bringing those, bringing that brand back to US retail. Yes. Um, and uh, and of course, you know, he loves that brand like a lot. Like he's <laughs> always been a Doxa like guy and he's always loved them. And I really like them too. I like their aesthetic and all of that. But um, I I had um, I had a reissue Doxa but um, but no longer own it. And I was like I don't, you know, I don't really need a lot of dive watches. Like I'm not on diver and I have way more than I probably should. So, you know, I hadn't really considered adding a Doxa to my collection again until I saw those. And um, I actually finally saw them in person yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, they're fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and also a carbon case for that price point is kind of unheard of. So um, I tried on... I, I, I thought when I saw them in pictures that I would like the um, the yellow and the orange best. Mm -hmm. um, but I really like the, I don't know what their color name for it. The one that's like more of a turquoisey aqua color. Okay. I think it's just called the aquamarine. Yeah, yeah. And that one is just, I it's really great. It's just great. And I, I can see it as being like, the summer watch and that's what like a bunch of my friends a few of my friends bought one and they're like this is my summer watch and these are guys who who normally wear you know attacks or you know vintage universal genetics or right like you know whatever the, their thing is they're not usually a everyone i know who bought one is not usually that kind of material like they they wouldn't wear something that's that outside of the box for for them um but it is really the perfect summer watch. Mm -hmm. It's super lightweight. Um, it's bright, fun colors. You can put it on a black strap if you don't want to do like the full color thing. Cause like they, you know, like they come on a matching, you can get a matching strap that matches the dial or a black one. Um, I think I would probably go for a black strap cause like mm -hmm. it's, 
it's slightly more goth. It's like summer goth, mm. it's, you know. Um, but they're just fantastic. They like they're executed well. They're just really, really great. So um, I think that's probably going to be the next one. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to get. I think I'm going to get one of those. I'm. I'm. I exercised great restraint yesterday and did not purchase it, uh, even though I wanted to because I'm like it's tax time in the u.s yeah and i'm just i'm just waiting for the final number from my accountant before i make a before i uh do that but like uh uh, but yeah but like i'm just trying to i'm trying to make uh you know sound financial decisions and and not impulse buy a watch that's almost four thousand dollars uh but also i really want it so (laughs) i feel like that's like literally the internal dialogue of every watch nerd Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's I, look, I know everyone that like it is like we we have these well, we used to have these conversations at Red Bar all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd be we would be talking about new releases. And I know this is gonna happen on the next Instagram live we do because um the watches and wonders releases. I'm like social media next week is gonna be insane. Insane <laughs> because there's so much stuff coming out. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I, I'm kind of looking forward to that because there's like, it, I'm looking forward to it and not, I wish it was a little more spread out because I feel like the, um, some, some st- like you get Rolex and you get Tudor and then other things get a little bit lost in the, in the noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like to see a variety of things from a variety of brands. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, um, I think that's, that's better for collectors too. Cause like, you know, we're all fanatics. We want to see everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, 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 but I am excited to see what people, what brands come out with and, and what's coming down the pike. And then, you know, I'm sure we'll all have tons of stuff to talk about, but like in a normal year, we would go to like, I would go to SIHH or Basel and then I would come back and like the first red bar I went to after, like, I, that's all we talked about. People would be like, how did it look in the metal? What did it, you know, like, mm-hmm. tell me more. Like, you know, they wanted to know. And then everybody was doing like mental mathematics, gymnastics of like how they could get all of the things that they liked. <laughs> and, you know, we all do this. We all go, okay, this piece doesn't get wrist time. Maybe I'll move it on and get a different thing or mm-hmm. whatever your, whatever the kind of calculation you have to do. Uh, but yeah, but <laughs> that it's it was kind of fun i i it was kind of fun to like actually go and like look at a watch in person because of course everything i purchased over the last year was you know online for the most part um it was good to just go like pick up a watch in person and try it on that's funny and and i saw those too and, and chatted a little bit with james about them and they're just beautiful pieces i mean i'm i'm very apprehensive about uh carbon cases because i just don't know how they're going to hold up i haven't seen a lot of them but i know it's an extremely tough material i know they use it in automotives and things like that so it's a very mm-hmm. resilient uh very very resilient kind of case how do, do you know like how does it hold up to stuff like dings and scratches and stuff like that um i mean it's a re- it is a resilient material i i i don't know because i haven't seen like, I don't know from personal experience because I haven't seen a carbon watch that's, you know, that's been, you know, worn a lot because they're mm-hmm. not, they're not very common. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it is a very strong material and like the, the, um, 
and you can actually, you know, you can see it because it's because like you can see the the kind of weaving of the fibers, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, uh, when you look at the watch. But like I I think that I think they would hold up well. Like my mm-hmm. instinct is that they would hold up well. Um, the pro- I think the I think the dis- the cognitive dissonance that a lot of people might have is that when you touch it because it's so light and the way that it's finished it feels it feels almost like plastic mm. and which it, it's not mm-hmm. but it like just that lightweight i think the lightweight material also kind of throws throws it off but like do i think that you know bulgari would have produced um the octophenesimo minute repeater in a fully carbon case with a fully carbon bracelet if they thought it was like a, it's like a hundred and sixty thousand dollar watch do you, or maybe it's more than that i have no idea um, but it's a very expensive watch. Do, do I think that they would have produced it, especially with a fully carbon bracelet, if they thought that it was going to mm-hmm. get dinged up at the price point that they're selling it at? Uh-uh. Probably so not. So I think I th- I'm I am pretty, and and all the other you know carbon uh, carbon fiber watches or watches that are made from this uh, similar materials, you know that are much ha- higher price points. Mm-hmm. Their customers would probably be pissed if they didn't hold up well. So my assumption and my my uh my and my educated guess based on the usage of the material in cars is that it'll hold up fine and i imagine that'll be something we'll see more of kind of going into the future will be like uh unique materials exotic materials and especially now as people are starting to want to see more personalization in watches mm-hmm. um you know if, if the like a, you know, obviously no two carbon cases are going to be identical, right? Just by virtue of the the weaving and how they're going to end up with the finishing. Like you're never going to have two identically perfectly looking cases with the patterns, right? So then right then there you get a little bit of personalization in your piece. Um, but then kind of moving into other materials as well too into the future, it's really interesting to see how colorways, materials and kind of um, uh, different brands are going to kind of start to come together to create a totally custom experience for, for buyers. So I think that'll be really interesting and hopefully something we kind of see a little bit more of at some of these trade shows coming up in, in, in April as well. So, yeah, I, I would love to see something like that. You know, I know there's a few, there are a few brands that experiment with materials, Rado being one of them, there's, mm. another, you know, the, um, and there's other brands that, that do different kind of dial materials like an Ordain in Scotland that does really beautiful enameling and, um, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, I like to see, I, I actually mentioned this on um, the clubhouse I did just before we uh, I joined to talk to you. Um, I want to see people taking more risks. Like mm-hmm. I want to see people experimenting. I would love to see brands like stainless steel is great, but like what what else can we do? Can like mm-hmm. you know I know ceramic is like hard. It's actually kind of difficult to work with because it's brittle. But like, what if we can, and, and, and ceramized titanium as well, like, the, you know, there are brands that have been experimenting with these kinds of materials for a long time. But I think, you know, maybe if, maybe if there's a little bit more innovation, you know, and maybe if there's some brands within big groups that could work together and like, you know, try to, um, try to innovate a little bit with materials. I think that'll be really, that would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more that there is innovation in that space and the more that um, people, you know, kind of evolve the types of materials that they can work with, um, then it, it, like, as that stuff gets manufactured more, it then the price comes down, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so for all of, we all benefit from that. Mm-hmm. As more people try to like experiment, you know, like, like 
like using you know silicon in in uh in watchmaking you know like using new materials in the actual movements mm -hmm. as that became more commonplace the price for that went down mm -hmm. right so so that's that's a thing that we might see if if enough brands and enough um people try to innovate in the case materials as well i think we'll see stuff like that that's hard to work with you know maybe maybe become more readily available and that would be pretty cool. But I love the idea of fully customized stuff. Like I want to I want to go online and do a little configurator and <laughs> and have a fully, you know, or a, a bespoke maybe not necessarily fully customized like maybe it's not a piece unique but mm -hmm. you know being able to like pick my dial, pick my, you know, do that kind of stuff. I would love to have that kind of thing more readily available. Oh, it's super cool to see a lot of the the micro brands starting to do that, like uh, Sartori Billiard is doing that. Um, uh, Holton Holton Rich watches is one that I think is beautiful. They, they I love their three D printed cases as well um, on the raw ornaments they they have there. They they're really great for that kind of stuff too. So I think it's definitely something we're starting to see um, a bit of a some pioneers, as particularly in the micro brands, are starting to kind of take advantage of, of people wanting that and and um, starting to provide that to customers. And hopefully the, the big guys start to pick up on that too. I think that'll be something really, really cool for the industry and something that will really appeal to a lot of the, the up and coming collectors and, and consumers of the industry for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, really quickly, one last question, because you you did mention, um, you know, there's lots of brands that are going to be at some of the trade shows coming up in April um, that are going to be unveiling new things. Uh, primarily, the, the big focus is on Rolex and Tudor. Who are some other brands or what are some other brands that people should be keeping an eye on that you think might go under the radar otherwise? Hmm. Well, hang on one second, because I'm going to... Um... Uh, I'm gonna look at my schedule for watches and wonders and tell you. I don't, um, don't want you to give so, anything away, but definitely give no, some. No, no, I'm just looking at the schedule. Like, there's a lot of brands that are presenting stuff. I think, um, I think obviously keep your eye, keep your eyes on the independents. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a few like Grubel Forzi and Moser are mm -hmm. doing some releases and, and um, they've got press presentations coming up. I always love the independents. I think the the the, the the thing I love to see in in watchmaking in general is risk taking, and they mm. are the ones that take the most risks. Like they, you know, especially when they're not beholden to like a, a corporate overlord. And that's not to say that like big big corporate groups are bad. It's just that they they can't take as many risks because they have shareholders and mm -hmm. you know parent companies and things like that. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say keep an eye on the independents. I would say uh, keep an eye on JLC because. Um, I think there'll be some interesting things from them. Vacheron, I've heard rumors that there's some interesting releases, mm. um, interesting releases there. Um, I'm just, I'm just, I literally am looking through my schedule to see what, what, I'm, what am I doing in the next few days? Um, I'm interested to see what Hermes is coming out with. Um, I, 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 anyone who follows me on Instagram knows I love the brand, but they, they are um, kind of underrated as a. a as a um, creator of in interesting movements. And I think that's, uh, that's, you know, not okay. Cause they have really, they have some really great movements. They have some really innovative stuff. Um, so I imagine they will come out with something cool uh, as well. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I think, I think that's probably, 
where I would go. Um, obviously, Rolex and Tudor are going to be the the two big ones. Um, but I'm also interested in seeing what Cartier is going to do. Okay. Actually, um, but they, you know, I can't really give anything away. But what they they sent, like they sent me physical things to to look at, and wow. um, and um, and so based on that, which is just a preview, it's like not the presentation, but based on what they sent, I think, I think there will be some, I, I don't think it's going to be groundbreaking, crazy innovation, but I think it's a really nice update to, to a lot of their stuff. Um, and that's actually a brand to circle all the way back to the gender thing. That's a brand that I think is really kind of widely appealing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they do a, a lot of their watches, you know, they might, you know, be men's or whatever, but I think a lot of their watches could be unisex um you know except for the like really large and really small ones um and i i kind of like i kind of like that about them although i know that um you know people primarily think of them as a jewelry brand they've created some of the most iconic watches mm -hmm. um you know that still exist today so i think that's a that's a brand to watch but out of the ones that are participating in watches and wonders specifically um i would say yeah the, the ones I just said, <laughs> JLC, Vacheron, and Independence, uh, primarily for me, is what I'll be keeping my eyes on. Awesome. And uh, and likewise with, with Cartier as well, like you, you hit, it, hit it right on the head. They traditionally have been kind of viewed as like a, a jewelry brand, but they've really been taking some significant steps to uh, blaze the way of being um, accepted and, and acknowledged as a as a timepiece making company now too and yeah. been doing a fantastic job so i'm excited to see what these new releases are going to be as well and kind of yeah. i'm ready to have my mind blown you said nothing nothing groundbreaking but probably still impressive nonetheless i don't know if it's you know that's the thing is i don't i haven't seen the whole line but based mm. on what i what i what with based on what i have seen and what i can what i can say out loud is like you know it's it, they're great but like i i don't know they they could surprise me like the, mm -hmm. the, like for example like in past years the crash i love the crash mm -hmm. love it it's so cool it's such a weird watch it's great like but that's what i'm saying like take i, I want risks like that mm -hmm. i would like and, like i want to see something that's like I, you know a weird shape or like a you know or or a, an unconventional metal like even if like if omega like obviously omega's not exhibiting it watches and wonders but like i love speedmasters they're great mm -hmm. but like do something weird, like, you know, just, just one, just one reference. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be like a whole new line. Just, mm -hmm. just do something a little, like, I would love to see that from most of the big brands, actually. Um, I'd like to see some, I, I love seeing innovation all over the industry, but I would love to see stuff that's just a little outside of the comfort zone for some of the brands. I think, I think some of the major ones are kind of not totally stuck. They're doing stuff that works. They know their customer. They know who's buying the stuff. Like they're, they're not making these things in a complete vacuum. Like there is a consumer demand for them. But for, as a watch enthusiast, which I know we are a very small subset of the overall watch market, mm. I want to see risk taking. Mm -hmm. Like, again, you don't take a big risk, but like make one weird watch. Like do like Tudor, Tudor a couple of years ago, the PO1. Yeah. Do that. Exactly. Make that. And the whole internet freaked out over it. Like, the, you know what? You know what they did after that? They sold a whole bunch of Pelagoses in Blackface. Yep. And then some people bought the PO1 and some people hated it. Mm -hmm. But everybody talked about it. So, you know, I'd like to see that kind of stuff. I think that's a great, I think that's a great kind of, a great way of looking at it, both with the industry side, but the collector side too. It's like, take some risks with your collection. 
get something, get something different because totally. you never know if you're going to expand your horizons. You're going to find something that you love. You're going to open up yourself to a whole other brand or subset of watches just by trying one thing that was a little bit different than just the same three watches that we see when we log on Instagram most of the time. Right. So. Yeah. And that's, that actually will bring me to my last anecdote. If you, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Um, we did So we did an event. So, so there was a guy that, um, who actually just DM'd me on Instagram the other day. I haven't talked to him in like three years. Uh, there's a guy that, that came to Red Bar and he's like a firmly steel sports watch guy. Mm. Like just, you know, Rolex, Tudor, whatever, like, but just steel sports watches. That was his jam. That was his wheelhouse. It's kind of like worked with his, you know, kind of vibe. And um, he came to an event that we did with Parmigiani and which is decidedly not a steel sports watch brand. Mm. Um, and he, we, the event was with Michelle Parmigiani who showed up and like showed us his books about like restoration that he had done of all these uh, clocks and watches and like the inspirations for his line and all of this stuff. He spent the whole night talking to folks and and uh, this this one collector ended up you know, having a short conversation with him. And he ended up buying a, a gold Tonda from a gold Parmigiani Tonda after that because he had this personal connection, right? Like this is not a watch he would have even looked at in the store mm -hmm. if he hadn't had this like conversation with the person who created the watch and had talked to him about his you know, how he, like, how he thought about creating the movement and, and, you know, his approach to, to the design and all of that stuff. And it's like, again, it all kind of comes back to the people. Mm -hmm. like, I have, a you know, like, if I know the guy, I know the person who made this watch, you know, I know the person who made this watch, like, the, there's a story behind that, that, that means a lot more to me than just like, than just the aesthetics and just the, you know, just the movement or whatever, like, there, if there's a personal connection, I think this is, broadly applicable to most consumers, at least in Western markets that, you know, like, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's universal human thing. You have a personal connection to an object, mm -hmm. whether it's like your dad's watch or your grandparents, you know, uh, artwork or what, like anything like that. You have a personal story attached to it. You get, you, you're way more, you're way more into that object, mm -hmm. <laughs> like a sentiment attached to it makes it more special and i think um i think that's true with watches as well you know it, it's it's very true with watches actually because i hear stories like that all of the time from other mm -hmm. collectors so you know that that said like you if you get maybe maybe you you know have a conversation or maybe you do maybe you attend a zoom session at this, this point or an instagram live with somebody um that that you've, you know, a brand you've never heard of or something that's outside of your aesthetic wheelhouse and you try that and maybe you fall in love with it. And mm -hmm. maybe it's just a little bit out of sight of your comfort zone. Um, I think that's a great, that's a great way to approach it. And maybe, and maybe you don't buy it, but, but like, you know, the exposure to things that are outside your comfort zone, I think is always good. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think that's an, that's an awesome point to kind of end things off at for today. Uh, you know, Kathleen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me, to talk with my audience, to share your insights, your experiences, tell us more about Red Bar and tell us about your personal collection and your own experiences in this hobby. You know, thank you so much for your work that you've done to bring the community together, for your contributions to the community, for fostering that human element um, in, in watch collecting and, and really, you know, showing us that it's about the people and the experiences, right? 
I think that yep. that's, you know, that's, it's really good to be reminded of that uh, more than anything when it comes to this and to see a group like Red Bar and to see someone in a position at the top of Red Bar that has that mindset is just exactly what the community needs. So thank you so much. Um, you. Really quickly, where can uh, people get in touch with yourself or engage with some of Red Bar's content or your own content? Um, Red Bar, so we're on Instagram at Red Bar Crew. Um, and I'm on Instagram at McGivney, my first initial and last name. And um, it, we can, we, you can also go to our website, which is redbargroup.com with there's a contact form on there. So you mm -hmm. can contact us through that. Uh, or you can DM us, but like, to be totally fair, we get a lot of DMs on the Red Bar Crew account. So it's much, it's actually more, it's actually quicker to, to email us through the contact form. Um, just because wading through the hundreds of comments that we get is, is um, sometimes takes a little while. Um, but yeah, that's, you can find us on Instagram. We're, we're there. Awesome. And likewise, for anyone wanting to get in contact with me, you can reach me at Rico's Watches Podcast at gmail.com. You can find my Instagram account at Rico's Watches Podcast or watch on the uh, Rico's Watches Podcast YouTube channel. Thank you very much again, Kathleen. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with you. You have yourself a wonderful day. Okay.